Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this pre-Mile High Nationals episode, we're taking a look at what's coming up this weekend in Colorado. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedregon will join his guests. We'll take a little bit of a look back at Norwalk as well. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the Western Swing kickoff of the Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody, it's Brian Loans here with the NHRA Insider Podcast. We are back after a one-week hiatus as uh, took a little time off, went around the country, took a cool road trip, got to see a lot of different stuff. Uh, as many as you may know, I'm into the history of all different types of things. So we hopped in the car. We went to the United States Air Force Museum. Can't uh, recommend that one enough in Dayton, Ohio. We went to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, toured the museum there, took the tour and made a lap of the track and the bus and got to hang out on the bricks. And then, of course, we ended up at the Henry Ford Museum as well as doing some other fun stuff. But it was a great trip around the center of the country. Uh, saw a couple of racetracks as well, so there's nothing wrong with uh, with any of that. I hope all of you had a good Independence Day weekend, maybe took some time with your families. I know many of the racers and crews on the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series Tour took some time with their families because we come in now to the famed Western Swing, that three-race stretch on the western part of the country where most of these teams leave for the better part of three weeks and they don't come back until things are completed with the final race of the swing this year happening in Sonoma, California. We're going to kick things off in the swing as we typically have done in years past by going to the Mile High Nationals. And as we know, it is the 65th anniversary of Bandemir Speedway. And we will be uh, bittersweetly, I guess, celebrating or executing, shall we say, the final running of the Mile High Nationals at Bandemir Speedway as best we know. Bandemir family has said that they are seeking a location to put another racetrack in or to do another track somewhere in Colorado, and we can keep our fingers crossed that they can complete that process. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what we should be looking for this weekend in Denver. I'm going to have Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedregon on the show this week and uh, kind of putting the band back together as far as the insiders go. It's always great to banter with those guys. Todd Venny has been great on the show, but Kevin McKenna is one of the OGs on this thing, so it's great to have him back. Um, you know, I, I hope we don't, and we're going to spend some time on it um, on our shows, of course, this weekend, but we're not going to make it the central theme of everything that it is the final uh, race we have at Bandemir Speedway. I think we celebrate its history, and, and yes, to a degree we have to mourn because it is uh, crummy to lose a place like that. For those of you that have been going there for years, or maybe this is the first and last trip you'll make to this racetrack, um, understand even when I started going there, which is not very long as compared to many of the racers and or other NHRA veterans like Pedregon and McKenna, uh, there was barely anything across the highway from this racetrack when I first started. There was barely houses with an eye shot, and now they are effectively just on the other side of the road. So, the Bandemir family has been such great stewards of drag racing in the Denver area. They have done a such a magnificent job with that racetrack, keeping it 
as you know one of the premier facilities in the world i i think it gets a lot of credit for its location it gets a lot of credit for the visuals that come with being on the side of the hogback at the foothills of the rocky mountains but i'm not sure it gets the credit it is due for just how well it is maintained and kept you know, we talk about places like Chicago and Norwalk and others, um, the, the Bruton Smith tracks being maintained at that high level. Well, these guys, meaning the Bandemir family, guys and girls, have done that for the better part of 65 years now. So uh, it is going to be interesting. Kevin and uh, Tony will be on. And, um, you know, I got some I got some thoughts uh, we'll share with those guys and we'll kind of see how they want to take it. But um uh, Norwalk was a great race, and that's what we're going to open this conversation up with when I get the guys on. It was, you know, one of those events where uh, didn't necessarily go according to the script, which is what we always love in this sport. It was an event where we saw, you know, Blake Alexander's victory, which we're going to touch upon um, when the guys come on, was was just magnificent. You know, we had him as a guest on the show uh, before the. Uh, hiatus we took last week and you know I think a lot of people heard that interview and maybe heard a little bit of a different side of Blake than they had in the past um, you know talk a little bit about some of the the trials and tribulations and and the work that he has put in and continues to put in uh, behind the scenes to make that team hum and function on the business side with Jim Head uh, Dave Leahy and the rest of the crew handling the mechanical side of things so absolutely great and uh, it is going to be very fun to kind of relive that moment. Now, Blake is not going to be racing in Denver. They're going to be coming back in Seattle. So he will not be part of the Mission Too Fast, Too Tasty Challenge in Denver. Um, and because of that, I believe it is going to be Ron Caps that ends up in his spot as Caps was the quickest loser of the previous round. So I believe that's how the default kind of scenario works. When one of the racers that is supposed to be in the challenge isn't there, there is an alternate spot that gets filled. In terms of other stuff going on around the sport and around the uh, NHRA this particular week, it's been pretty quiet, and, and I believe because of the fact that so many people have uh, kind of hit the hit the dusty trail and just went to recharge their batteries. Uh, for me, it is the Western Swing after the Sonoma race. I'm going to be headed out to Firebird uh, Raceway in Boise, Idaho, as I've done for the last few years for their Night Fire Nationals. Uh, shameless plug for that fantastic NHRA sanctioned facility out there in Boise. If you've never been to the Night Fire Nationals or you've never been to Firebird Raceway uh, in Boise, Idaho, you are cheating yourself. It is absolutely great. The facility, as we talked about, like Bandemir Speedway, uh, like the Bandemir family, like the Bader family, um, the new family that operates that particular racetrack has it absolutely on point at all times. And this is a, a race that's part of the NHRA Heritage Series. So there will be fuel alters, front engine top fuelers, nitro funny cars, um, big money bracket racing as well. They have a, a program called the Bracketeer program that's been going on for decades. And we always get to hear and share some great history at the Night Fire Nationals. So that being said, um, not a whole lot to announce in terms of wheeling and dealing in the sport. I think there will be some interesting announcements coming from some racers. I know of one particular racer who I'm not going to um, I'm not going to spill the beans on because I know they're going to want to do it themselves. But that has, as I am recording this show on Tuesday, July 11, 2023, uh, this racer is signing paperwork to fund a top fuel team. And that top fuel team will be debuting later on this season. So that is going to be a big piece of news that is coming. And out of respect to them and the hard work they've put in to get this far, uh, I'm going to let them break that news when they are 
good, well, and comfortable with it. But at the same time, that's something to keep your eyes on. There is, yes, another top fuel team coming into the ranks, and this one has backing um, in a unique way. And I hope that story gets told when the uh, when the racer decides to uh, to reveal everything that's going on. We look at the cars that are going to be coming out, cars and motorcycles. Of course, we got Pro Stock Bike up on the mountain and Mountain Motor Pro Stocks up there too, which is pretty cool. So we have 16 top fuelers. Um, Greg Carrillo's out. Greg Carrillo always uh, comes to Denver and always does well. Terry Totten's going to be there with his car. Rob Passy's going to be there with his car. Um, you know, we, we, we get to see those part-timers. A lot of them do come to Denver because atmosphere being an equalizer, uh, a lower horsepower car, in theory, maybe is a little bit less affected than the real high horsepower chargers out there. Buddy Hull's going to be there as well, which is going to be great to see Buddy. Pro Stock is a full field. Funny car, we have 15. And Pro Stock Motorcycle, I believe we have 16 as well. It is a challenging place, and that's why some racers decide to circumvent the mountain. Like we talked about, Blake Alexander not making the trip, but will run Seattle and Sonoma. It is the decision they have made, and uh, they just don't want to go through the rigmarole, if you will, of making that massive mechanical change in the car, whether it's head gaskets and blower overdrive and all the different stuff that goes in to making a car run as best as it can up on the mountain. So that being said, let's welcome our guest, Tony Pedragon and Mr. Kevin McKenna, our NHRA insiders, will be on with me right after this. We're going to be right back and begin the conversation with Norwalk and go into Denver. It's the NHRA Insider. Stay with us. All right, we are back here at the NHRA Insider Podcast, and I am joined by the band. I got the band back together. I got Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna. Tony, how you doing, man? Good. Good morning, guys. Welcome to summer. And Kevin McKenna, who survived what appeared to be a very uh, pyrotechnics-heavy display of fireworks at your house at the 4th of yeah, July. My neighbor, uh, my neighbor decided to have a barbecue and uh, chose my backyard. It was, uh, it was a fun time. <laughs> did, uh, did he? So your backyard was used as the launching pad. Why was that? Do you have more room? It, yeah, I do. I, I okay. actually have a pretty good, pretty good spot back there, and he's, uh, he's actually really good about cleaning up and... Uh, it manages to keep keep the neighborhood clean and keep all the crap off the cars. So, and everybody left with all their fingers, I assume. I, they did, and I felt it was my patriotic duty to uh, allow him to have the display there in my yard. So. Well, you, you you did well, and it uh, the photos looked like it was a pretty fun time, and. You know, we had a pretty fun time at Norwalk, and I haven't had a chance to talk to you guys much since then. Um, you know, I did talk to Blake Alexander on the show, uh, the last show we made before uh, before our 4th of July break. And, Tony, I want to come back to you. You know, Blake is not running in Denver. Those guys typically skip the race, and then they go up to Seattle. But in terms of a single victory for a team, I'm not sure that one could have come at a better time for a team that just they needed something to go their way. That weekend started terribly for them, but to finish and beat Hagen in the way they did really showed us, I think, a different side of of Jim Head and Blake Alexander than we had seen really over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, to use a cliche, it's a game changer for a team, for a driver, you know, that at times has expressed his, uh, you know, his disappointment. Yeah. And, you know, it's discouraging, I think, for Jim Head. It, it, it has been for the team. And, you know, if you can get to a final round, that's, you know that's a good event. If you can get to the semifinals, that's pretty solid. But but to win to win in the fashion and the manner that they did, I, I think I, I mean it couldn't have been any better. I mean yeah. you look at the competition, especially in the semifinals when he beat Tasca. You know Tasca smoked the tires. I don't know if they were geared up, if they were armed up for a 392 on a track that had the kind of temperature, the conditions that Norwalk saw. You know it's just it was a team that had nothing to lose. But, you know, let's go back a little. If you backtrack 
that car has Tasca's combination in it, and and it has for for a, a little amount of time. They they just made it work. I, now it makes sense. You know, they went to test. I'm sure there were some yeah. things they were working working out. But you know, of course, Neff, like Neff and Jim Head, they're very close. And you know, Neff is now on a top fuel car, uh, not really where he wants to be. But you know, I'm sure that he has spent plenty of time with Jim Head. So they made it work. They had nothing to lose. Uh, they plugged that setup in, and you know, if you look at the performance, it ran just like Tasky's car, uh, car did a year ago. So. Uh, good for them. It, it's good to see a smile on on Blake's face, especially on Jim Head's face, and and just the pride, just the expression he had on his face uh, when that car uh, won the race. But not just winning, but with the kind of performance they had, that that was pretty impressive for us. And you got to feel good for him. Yeah, and and Kevin, to Tony's point, I mean, we were looking at the ladders going into the final, and and the two of us kind of looked at each other and thought. I, I, we got to favor Blake here just because of that 92 in the semis. It certainly got our attention. Did it get yours? Absolutely. And, and don't you think that there has been uh, sort of uh, maybe recently, but a fundamental shift over there, uh, I mean, probably solely to Jim Head's thinking in the way he runs the car. You know, we, we've known for decades this is a guy who, you know, he aims for the number zero. Yeah. You know, he won low ET every round, and I think, he, you know, he, he's a bright guy. He knows – how to tune for conditions, and do you think maybe there's just been the thought of let's pull this thing back a little, give it what the track will take, yeah, and let Blake go out and race. And uh, I mean that seems really obvious. You know, first of all, it's a bit unusual for that team to have a midsummer test session. Yes, um, but obviously it was productive. They came here to Indy. I know they made probably four or five runs. Yeah, they made five um, or five runs in a day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, t- to that end. You, do they just now look at things of instead of trying to set the world on fire, let's just go race. And, you know, we've seen the results. So, you know, to me, that was the major story coming out of, uh, of course, coming out of Norwalk. But a couple of places I want to bounce around to as we look at Denver now. You know, let's talk about Matt Hartford here because Hartford won Denver last year. Um, you know, we always talk about Matt in the in the sense that he's good for like one win a year. But the reality is, uh, if, if it turns out that 2023 is a one-win season for Matt Hartford, that's not a successful year from in my perspective because, Kevin, this car is better than he's had probably forever. Uh, he has been very, very solid behind the wheel. And so he comes off of a, of a Norwalk win. And, yes, we come to Denver where nothing, quote-unquote, mechanically matches Norwalk. But you still want to race. And so for the person in the driver's seat, that's, that's what matters to me up here uh, to a degree maybe even more than the mechanical side. I don't think there's any way that car gets through the rest of this year without at least a couple more wins. Yeah. And, and you know, to, to your point of performance – uh, it, it was actually shocking to me to find out that Matt Hartford had never been the low qualifier yeah. until this year. And now he's got three of them since Vegas. Um, so, you know, th- that tells you that, I mean, yes, he's always been a capable driver. They've always had capable tuning. But now you could argue that with, without much resistance, I think that that's the best car in the class right now. Probably not by a wide margin, but... um. Well, he, he's about the last guy I'd want to mess with on race day right now. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, Tony, we talk about people that have success in Denver. We know the challenges of the environment up there. But, you know, year over year, um, guys like Alan Johnson would, would go up there and do well. And, of course, Andrew Hines and Matt, Matt Smith has done well. But Ken Hartford kind of add his name to that list now, trying to go back-to-back, especially coming off a race win in Norwalk. Well, the adjustments are the same for everyone. But, you know, the question for Matt is if he can go the distance. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. I, it's no question. He's better – He's as good as he's ever been. He's got the best car. He's been able to repeat, uh, you know, the car's performance. And that's really been their Achilles heel, you know, it's just consistency. But when he wins, he looks he looks like he can go all the way. I mean, to me, I don't think there's any question that he has the, the mental fortitude. I think he has the winning attitude. I think he, he has the ambition. He has all the requirements um, to contend for a championship. I've got a feeling that we're going to see Erica, we're going to see all the same players that are going to be competing with him. But when he wins, if he has any performance edge, he can, um, it, it seems like they can tune the car, they can set the car up. If they qualify well, if they have a good first round, they just seem to be able to win. In fact, the only time that they they don't, they when they come up yeah. short, and it doesn't happen that often, it's usually on the starting line, but yeah. that's the name of the game in pro stock. So I, I, it just seems that the car's as good as it's ever been. And that's all the driver can ask for. Yeah, I mean, in reality, that thing, and you know, all things being equal, I think that car could probably have three Wallys so far this year. Granted, the one they got was a good one, but they came very close a couple of times. And so that, you know, the breakthrough to get the job done is one thing, but the fact that they were kind of chipping at it for this long and, and having that consistent success. I went back and looked at his season last year. Uh, he had a, a, thir- a 17 and 18 round record over the course of the year. So he appeared in 35 rounds of competition. And Kevin, he's already been in 20 this year. So he is he is drastically ahead pace wise on the number of runs he's made. And as we always talk about in this sport, those additional runs, whether it's a half a dozen, which he's pacing ahead of his last year's pace now, that's the type of thing that starts to set you ahead. And, and even though it seems like a small number, like we talked about Blake Alexander making five runs in Indy and coming out and winning a race in Norwalk, that additional half dozen runs he's paced himself ahead has to be adding to the success of that of that total seal car. Oh, uh, for sure. And, and, you know, last year, if you believe Matt, they, they encountered a problem that took them – months uh, almost half the season to find yeah. um you know assuming you can avoid that kind of an issue this yeah. year you know i mean again y- what you're seeing now is probably what you should have seen last year um i mean i think the, the potential has always been there for that team um so yeah again you know i'm i'm looking at qualifying performances where this car is top five at almost every race and that that is kind of the key to a to a long successful day on sunday Absolutely, and and I want to transition to Pro Stock Bike, and Tony, we know that Matt Smith will not be busting out the V-Twin this year that, that he did last year, and he's won this race in 2021 and 2022, but he will be on a Suzuki. Is there any chance that the motor that he ran last year doesn't end up in Angie's bike, right? Wouldn't that be the first order of business if you're Matt Smith? Get that V-Twin motor that just ruined this place last year for everybody into Angie's bike. I think anything's a possibility with Matt Smith, but, but let me just throw something out there. Let me throw something out there. Who says that he won't roll that bill up? Who says that he won't? There you right? go. Okay, so, so I get it. There's, a little, there's some sponsor money, but is the sponsor money, is it greater than, you know, I'm not talking pride, but is it greater yeah. than the, the, the prize? You know, the, the, and I think that's the question. I wouldn't put it past Matt. 
But we did see some improvements in Norwalk. Yeah. That was encouraging, not just from him, but, you know, we saw a lot of teams that closed the gap on Gage. And, you know, I think what Gage is going through, you know, those are the things that, that a driver or rider goes through on the way to the top. I still think they're going to dominate. I just don't think they're going to – they're not going to have it like they had it for the first handful of races. I'm, I'm pretty sure they enjoyed it, but rarely do you, do you have that kind of run um, in pro-stock and pro-stock bike especially. And, um, you know, I, I think I – think I still feel – Matt, I, I think it just came a little bit longer – it's a little later in the game than I thought it would be, but it's just a matter of time before he figures it out. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I wouldn't be surprised if if he uh, if he rolled another bike out. I you know I know uh, he has uh, sponsor obligations. You have some contractual obligations, but I think in the back of of anyone's mind has to be weighing out you know what what you're doing and how much that money is versus how much it is to win races and to contend for that championship. Kevin, speak to that point and also, as much as you can, some <laughs> of the, let's call it, back-channel stuff that's happening within the ranks of Pro Stock Motorcycle right now that's uh, kind of juicy a little bit on the whole rules front and everything else. Yeah, you know, as far as Matt Smith, I, I won't believe that he's not riding the Buell until Q1. <laughs> well, I actually, I won't believe that. I won't believe it. I won't believe it until Q4. Um, he could he could pull that bike out at any time. Um, there's nothing that says he might not start the event on the Suzuki, and if he doesn't make a run, he likes. Um, you know, th- this is a guy that that much like his father, leaves no stone unturned when yep. it comes to winning a race, and that's why he's been so successful. So if he feels his best path to a win is to roll that Buell out, uh, expect to see it. Um, uh, as far as the class, um, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, you know, I t- talked to Eddie Kraywick a bit yesterday for, for an article on NHRA.com, and, you know, he was mentioning that, you know, their Suzukis are now 15 pounds heavier than the beginning of the year, so, um, you know, which is, is quite a bit of weight when yeah. it comes to a motorcycle. Um, they're having to deal with that, um, and, and he was actually said he hopes as far as the Western Swing that they don't have any really, really crazy swings in weather. Um, he doesn't want to go to Sonoma and see below sea level air because he says, we don't have a tune-up for it. Um, you know, even what they had last year in Gainesville in 2022, he's like, you know, we made two, three runs there. We don't have the data. Uh, you know, g- give him an 80-degree sunny day, and they can tune for that all day long. Um, you know, as far as the class as a whole, you know, we know uh, – Joey Gladstone was on the entry list and then fell off. You know, I, I think it's pretty common knowledge now that, you know, they're in the process of, of doing their own engine program with the KB folks. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, something to watch going forward, how, how quickly they can get up to speed with that and how much progress they can make. Um, so, yeah, interesting times. It really is. And, and you know, when we look at, some of these riders that uh, that fly under the radar you know I talk a lot about Mark Ingerson or I give him a lot of props on the show the guy came into Norwalk with a 009 average reaction time and he left Norwalk with a 008 average reaction time not for the race Kevin for the season for the yeah. season yeah he uh, uh, th- th- that that is a guy who and, and you know Mark very quiet guy they do their own engines they run their own program. 
I don't think they use a lot of outside vendors for help. Uh, really, that's that that is an underrated program that's not too far. I mean, I really think he just needs a, a break or two, and you'll see that bike in a final, um, possibly even win a race. You know, he, he was kind of the surprise guy last year that came out, and, and you know, a lot of people had barely heard of him. Um, next thing you know, he's he's making a run here in the top ten and finished, I believe, seventh. Uh, so, so yeah, that 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 is definitely a uh, an arrow that's pointed north. And you know, uh, Tony, you mentioned Gage Herrera, and, and this to me. This whole like the last couple of races or whatever, you know, really to me makes this story of Gage Herrera's season even better in that um, as interesting as it would have been to watch a guy just go on a full cakewalk the whole year. I think it's even more interesting to watch a guy have to work through some of this stuff and, and have to deal with some of that pressure and have to deal with some of that spotlight, not necessarily when things are going great, but when mistakes get made and when you recover. The guy still has a massive points lead. Let's not forget that. But it's still, to me, this watching this guy mature into the rider that we believe he will be uh, in the end is is pretty fun to watch. Well, I think I think Gage has come in. I think he's taught uh, taught all the other riders a little something. I, I'm pretty sure that he's not the first one, um, you, you know, to 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 surge or to lunge the way that he is. But he's made it work, and I think that a lot of other riders have looked at that, looked at the bike's performance, and I think they could, they learned they could learn a little something from the kid. Um, but better now, better go through it now yeah. than later when it really counts because everyone's going to be bunched up once again when. The countdown resets, but you know this. These are the growing pains for any driver, for any rider. You, you're going to have to go through it, um, you know. And I, I think I saw an article somewhere, and the question was: they posed the question, you know, did this team did they peak too soon? I don't think so. I, I think yeah. what it showed us was this Vance and Hines team. They come out. I think they saw the talent. They recognized it. Uh, I think they they were full throttle. They're wide open. So I, you know, I think. When it's all said and done, there is no other way to approach racing. You know, it's you're always um, you're always trying your best. You're always uh, you know going to the starting line with the with the best intentions. And I think they had a rider they didn't have to handicap. So um, I, I think that you know the, the run that they had was pretty impressive. I think they could do it again, but I think they're going to have more competition. So now we're going to see Gatorer get put through the test because. You know, I think it was a few times that he was able to lay up a little bit yeah. because he didn't have yeah. the pressure. He knew that he had him covered by close to a tenth of a second, maybe eight hundredths of a second. He's not going to have that luxury anymore. If it's two to three hundredths of a second, you feel a little bit of heat. So I, I, I don't think we've seen the best of him. And like I said, for him, I think it's better that he sort through it because he's going to have a nice little run, uh, you know, on, on these Western races, uh, you know, to kind of to kind of. I'm sure he's done a little soul-searching, but he can once again find himself over the next few races. And, Kevin, before we move off the motorcycle category, you know, I think the, the, the neat thing I saw and have seen over the last couple of races is veterans taking advantage of this young guy's, you know, missteps. Steve Johnson, two finals in a row. Arana wins the race in Norwalk. He's been riding very well. And to me, that's that's the kind of thing that's going to separate people in the countdown. It's going to be – the veterans that have the experience that are able to capitalize when somebody slips on the proverbial banana peel versus somebody who is trying so hard not to make that mistake. But let's not let's not uh, you know dismiss the, the chances of these other riders just because the points lead so big right now. Oh, for for sure. And I mean to, to go back a step, 
uh, the, the whole lunging forward, the riding technique, that, that, that is straight out of the Dave Schultz playbook. I think Dave's a guy that figured that out decades ago. Um, you know, why more people don't do it? I don't know. It's probably a tricky thing to do, to, to, to master. You know, we know in Gage's instance, that's what he needed to do on his no-bar bike because yeah. being a nitrous bike, he couldn't compete with the turbos. He had to get it off the starting line. Um, it just happened to translate well into a pro-stock motorcycle. Um, but but back to your question, yeah, you, you've got uh, some teams that are doing well. You know, you mentioned Hector Arana Jr. I would almost peg him as the favorite this weekend uh, because you do figure in Denver, the V-Twins are going to have an edge just because of the atmosphere. Um, that is arguably the best V-Twin out there along with Angie Smith. I would be shocked if those two bikes didn't qualify in the top four or five. And, uh, you know, Hector has had some success up there. Uh, I know, you know, Dad has a good tune-up for the mountain. Uh, I, I would really probably label them a favorite. And, and, and I still, regardless of what bike he's on, I never count Matt Smith out. No, I mean, like you said, it's it's the guy who's just so good and, and wily, and I mean that in a good way. It's just you, you never, in a million years, you never look at that guy and think that, you know, it, it's the guy who's the boxer is cornered that all you all he needs to do is land one punch and, and the guy, you know, is able to fight himself out of the corner. So always somebody yeah. to keep our eyes on. And, and the final point on Gage is, uh, I mean, th- this is, you know, really his first full season, new team. It is a learning process, but you'd like to think, I mean, he's so far ahead of the curve right now, even with a couple of the minor mistakes he's made. Once you get him into the countdown, I think he's going to be good to go. And uh, he doesn't strike me as the type of guy who uh, his routine is going to be altered by the pressure of the countdown. Uh, I think by that time, he's going to have enough runs, probably enough, you know, unique situations where I, I think he'll be good to go. You, you think the boogeyman will be all scared off from under his bed by the time he gets there is what you're saying. You know, let's go to pro stock and, and Tony, uh, let's talk about Derek freak and Kramer for a second. How about these guys? They went and tested at, at Bandemir. This was, this was, I don't know if anybody's done that since Alan Johnson uh, used to do it back in the day to kind of perfect his tune up there. Uh, it has been really fun to watch Derek Kramer come back into the discussion here. He sits third in the points right now. He's he's less than a round behind uh, Matt Hartford for number two, but these are Colorado guys. They went and tested at Bandemir. That kind of gives me an indication of how bad they want this one. Yeah, I think I think the class needed Derek Kramer. You know, I think that um, you know, he's such a talent. And he, I mean, you and I, we, we all don't need to go back too far that we saw, you know, Derek Kramer was always in contention. And it's just, you know, it's kind of like Chris McGahey. You know, like they go through whatever they do. They're, you know, yeah. they try different combinations, try different setups. But, you know, they really belong in the mix. And Derek Kramer, he's such a, he's such a talent on the starting line. Um uh, you know, and, and, and just his, his operation, you know, it's it's representative of, of a professional pro stock team. So I, it's good to have him. You know, it's good to have him in competition. Uh, you know, and I, I'm sure that that the teams that were dominating, you know, if you go back to Erica and Greg, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's not good for them. But, you know, for a while, for a while, it was pretty much just the two of them. And I think that this class needs the Matt Hartfords. They need the Derek Kramers. Aaron Stansfield, the Mason McGahays, and and you know the Quadras, and 
you know, right now we see some, like the quadras right now, they have fallen off. Troy Jr., we don't see as much of him. But there have been guys like Derek Kramer that have kind of, you know, rose, risen to the occasion. So um, it is good to have him back. It really is. And, Kevin, is this the type of race, as challenging and as different as it is, the type of race that a pro stock team that's been treading water, a la Cambry Caruso, if not treading water, maybe losing a little losing a little depth, uh, Bo Butner sitting there in 10th, Kyle Koretsky sitting there at 11th. These are teams that just do not seem to be able to get off the schneid. We know Cambry had a good start to the year, but it's not really followed up since then. Is Denver the type of place that you can mount some sort of a, a turnaround, or is it so far afield that you just have to take this as a one-off and just move along with your business if it doesn't go that well? Uh, I think more likely the latter. Yeah. Uh, Sonoma, Sonoma and Seattle strike me as places where those teams would probably see a bigger turnaround. I, I think with Denver, it's so unique. Yeah, you might be the team that stumbles on the right combination. Yeah. Um, but it probably favors teams that have had past success there, uh, specifically Hartford. I, I think right now you look at Hartford, won Denver last year, coming off a win in Norwalk, but like the stars are aligning for him to run the table up there. Um, you know, whether or not he does remains to be seen. It's still tough. You know, and, and again, the wild card in this is Erica. You know, I mean, three races ago, some people had her dead and buried. Um, obviously that's not the case, but there's still plenty of work to be done there. And, you know, never won Denver, never even been to a final there. Um, you know, th- th- that's a team that could, could use a strong showing this week. It absolutely could, and and I think we had you know some level of this discussion after Bristol, and it was like, okay, like is she actually back? And and winning a race is a difficult thing to do. And I just you know I I thought the same thing maybe coming into Norwalk that I thought leaving Norwalk, which Tony and, and we'll move on to Funny Car after this, but I want your opinion. We left Norwalk, and I thought, okay, I mean it's a good enough car, but she is going to need to be exceptional to win in that car, which she was at Bristol. But she is going to need that every freaking week to win in that particular car she's in now. Yeah, I think we have we have quietly and slowly seen a transition. You know, I mentioned the Quadras. You look at Aaron Stanfield. You know, occasionally Mason McGahey will have the car to compete. But you've got you've got a different level of competition today that we haven't had in a lot of years. You you now have Dallas Glenn with a car underneath him. You have Matt Hartford, and we know what Matt does, and and he can get down on the starting line. So, you know, I just I I find it I'd be more surprised if anyone dominated in this Erica Erica in this era yeah. Erica including. I just don't think they're going to have the luxury of of you know, having it as good as they have in the past. I mean, there's too many good cars. Now, with the good cars, there's too many good drivers. And we've got <laughs> right. some, you know, we got some young young legs in the class. And, you know, then you've got, you know, guys like Derek Kramer that are showing back up. And um, I, I just think you have bigger threats. So it's no longer, you know, you're going to get to the semifinals. If you can get out of the first round, you've got, you've got a, a you know, you don't have a tiger shark. You got a great white shark waiting for you in the second <laughs> round. So, I think the face of pro stock has changed over the last year or two. All right, so let's move to funny car. I want to stick with you for a second here, Tony. So, does this race in a funny car favor the naturally big horsepower, hairy-chested Hagens, Caps, and Heights of the world, or does this race, because of its atmosphere, favor? 
the Chad Greens of the world or even the John Forces or J.R. Todd's of the world that don't necessarily lay up just the hero numbers run after run? I think, well, you look at the forecast. It's going to be in the, in the mid to low 90s. I think Saturday, at least the forecast looks the, the you know, the most pleasant at mid 80s. But, you know, the heat is very intense. And, of course, they have the coolers. They have a couple hundred feet yeah. uh, worth of cooling, a uh, little more on the starting line off the launch. So thank goodness for those coolers because the name of the game is going to be to get the car to accelerate as hard as you can. So, uh, you know, these nitro engines have come a long way over the last several years. It used to be even the cars that had less power that couldn't rev up, uh, like some of the higher-powered cars, and we're talking several hundred RPM. And some teams just don't run their car like that because they can't, and they don't want to lean on them like, like um, you know, the, the Tony Stewart team, the John Force team. You know, those guys have parts. They, they hurt them. They're going to get more parts. So they just have a different philosophy. Um, but they can't necessarily use it. You know, uh, power always wins out, but the key to success in, in Bandermere in Denver has always, bring, has always been lockup weight. So they're going to put a lot of lockup weight on the lockup levers, more primary more of this, more of that. Of course, we know you know the thinnest gaskets they can get. They're going to put higher compression pistons if they have them. Um, you know, and we don't really see them making the fuel pump change as much as they used to because they can just return more fuel, lean the system out because you can't burn the fuel up there. There's no air to burn it. So they rely mostly on counterweight. And you know, even with a car that doesn't rev up, it's going to rev up even less. But it's amazing how these nitro engines work. You can just load them up with lockup weight, and it's still going to accelerate the car. So while they are going to try to mechanically increase the power, they're still not going to quite get there. They're not going to get where they would normally be at close to sea level or even at 1,000 or 1,200 feet. Um, but it, I think it does. Between the temperature and, and the overall circumstances, I think that it opens the door for... Uh, definitely for Chad Green, uh, but even for cars like Jim Dunn, you know, if they can keep from dropping cylinders up there and get their fuel system dialed in, um, you know, I think that we're we're not going to see the, the cars that typically dominate that are going to dominate at Seattle and Sonoma. I think we're going to see the door swing open um, for any nitro car, top fuel and funny car. All right, Kevin. So answer that with this. Does John Force have a, a Roy Hobbs moment in him still, right? This guy's one up here more than anybody. He always espouses his great and very close relationship with John Bandemir. He's always very emotional at this race. Is there a natural, you know, Roy Hobbs putting the baseball into the, the lights type of moment here for, for John Force to close out our national event tours at Bandemir? Yeah, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I don't think you ever um, – I don't think you ever count John Force out. You know, he was in a final what, three races ago, Epping. Um, you know, it certainly isn't the strongest car in the class right now. But um, as we've seen many times in Denver, you don't need the strongest car. You know, the place is famous uh, for things like upsets and first-time winners and just oddball occurrences. Oh, like Jack Wyatt beating Matt Hagen in the first round last year. <laughs> yeah, Joey Haas going to a final yeah. and. Um, you know, even Jr.'s first win was was a bit bit of a shock up there. Um, so yeah, I mean, those sort of things happen. That that's actually part of the beauty of Denver, that it's so unpredictable. You don't know what you're going to see. Um, you know, especially to Tony's point, where it's going to be hot. It's going to be in the 90s. Um, 
you know, the, the, the car that goes those rounds is, is likely to be the one that doesn't smoke the tires on Sunday. Could that be John? Absolutely. Yeah, to me, it's it. You know, you always kind of look for the you look for the, the the full circle closure in some of these things, and it would certainly be a moment. He was the first guy to go three hundred there. He did it back in nineteen ninety six, and um, you know, there's 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 uh, all sorts of history there, of course, with uh, with the family and John from the match racing days on back. So, you know, Tony, give me a name that you would put at the front of the pack, I guess, right now. If if you're coming in, who do you have the highest expectation for this weekend in Funny Car? Well, I'm going to go with the low-hanging fruit because Robert won last year, but you know they they were pretty dominant. When you look at last yeah. year's ladder and how they won and how quick they were, you know John Force was the number three qualifier, so you know that puts him in the game right now. Um, and if you look at the top five, you look at the top five in qualifying from a year ago. It was Hagen, Robert Hype, John Force, and Tasca, and Caps, and then Jr. Todd right behind him. So you know these teams have figured out how to race on the mountain. Um, you know, I think I think Friday, of course, Friday is going to be four position, and you know, I think Saturday, I, I just Sunday, Sunday brings the hottest day, and I think that re- that's really a game changer because once you get off those coolers, uh, you know, they lighten the clutch up so much. We see either tire smoke or mostly we just see a lot of drop cylinders because you know it uh, because of the elevation and it takes them so long to try to get dialed in uh, to the thinner air. And to get the fuel system just right, uh, but you gotta you gotta look at who won last year, and it was Robert Height. I don't think they're coming off the best couple of races. Yeah, or if you figure out how to make power up there, then you, you're automatically in the game. I think I think Height and Hagen look for one of those cars to be in the final. And if somebody wants to make a, a surprise appearance, then more power to you, Chad Green. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kevin, go for it. Just on, on the topic, yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned Chad Green, six semifinals. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's good for anybody. And you just wonder uh, at what point does that turn into a runner-up or a win? Um, you know, again, back to everything we just talked about at Denver, where great place for first-time winners. Um, it, it, you know, I believe it's a place where. You know, I don't want to say the cars are easier to drive, but being slower, you know, we know it works with the bikes where, you know, a lot of times it's a good place for a, a, a rider to get their timing down because the shifts happen so much slower. Um, it, I just think, you know, again, I think the stars align for something like that to happen. It wouldn't, you know, it, it wouldn't even make the top 10 list of bizarre occurrences this year. I think it's something we all expect to see at this point. Yeah, I think you're right. And and to put a cap on it, you know, we, we talk about the, and, and Tony and I talked about it on the show last race where, you know, the the next step that Chad Green and his team need to take is, you know, that step from the semifinals to the finals. We saw Blake Alexander take it. They went out and they ran a 392 in the semis to race their way into the final to ultimately win themselves the race. And Chad Green's team has not been able to make that move yet. And I'm I in my mind and listening to what you guys are saying, it's like this may be one of the few places that you might not necessarily need to make that significant jump or make a desperation Hail Mary style tuning change to get yourself into a final and, and really stand on the gas. So that's going to be interesting as we transition into top fuel. Uh, Justin Ashley comes in leading by a, a scant 97 points over Steve Torrance. But to me, the more interesting part of this story is the number two and three cars, Kevin. Steve Torrance has 629 points sitting second. Leah 
has 620 points sitting third. She won this race last year. She won Norwalk. She's the Grand Marshal. She's in the Dodge Power Brokers car. And she loves this place. So I I am having a real hard time looking past any of that when we talk about Top Fuel this weekend. Yeah, I, I b- believe you, your co-favorites are Steve Torrance and Leah Pruitt. They, um, you know, for, again, for all those reasons you just mentioned, a, a sustained history of success in Denver, recent performances, um, you know, and you see Torrance talk all the time about pe- people come up to him and say, geez, what's wrong with your team? What's wrong with your team? And he says, there's nothing wrong with our team. You know, yeah, they haven't won a race yet. It's been a while, but... Um, you know, they've been to a couple of finals, you know, three, four semis. It's just a matter of time. And, you know, as we know, you know, they, they don't, that, that's a team that's been around long enough, had enough success. They don't, you don't really see them kick into high gear until the countdown begins or at least Indy. Um, you know, I think that's where they put the most emphasis and everything that they do at this point of the year is, is, is preparation for that more or less. And I, I just think that, um, you know, you, you will see that car win some races here before long. And, that, you know, Denver's a perfect spot. Um, I think they, they always seem to have a good tune-up for the place. So, yeah, I, I, I like their chances. You know, Tony, when we talk about Leah, we've we've often mentioned this, that we know she can she can dial them up. She, she dialed up a 46 on, on Proc in the semis. Uh, she was 81 versus Ashley in the final. Um and she ended up winning the race, of course. I'm talking about Norwalk. So after a weekend like that, where you, you have a good race day, you win the race, but you weren't necessarily maybe in the tightest grouping you want, how much does that help your program? Do, do you feel lucky that you pulled the 46 out in the semis, or do you leave that racetrack thinking, I did this on my own, I know what I'm doing in the seat? Well, if you look at history, I think um, I think that she is capable than more. What I see is a car that is carrying a driver. Um, you look at the semifinals, 46. That means she can do it. She's yeah. done it before. She has been more consistent on the starting line than she has. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this. They, they have. She has a good car. That car is very consistent. It's without question a top three car that can compete with Justin Ashley. question is, can the driver compete with Justin Ashley. Right now, nobody seems to. I have a feeling that Steve Torrance is going to be in the mix. I think he's going to sort through his problems. I think he's going to to, to find what it is he's looking for. And I, I just it's going to be hard for Leah to win more races with, with the kind of performance she's had on the starting line. Now, now I know that's a little being a little critical, but the numbers do not lie. No, they don't. And that's that's why it's worth. Yeah, that's why it's worth having the conversation. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will say this: um, she's done it before. So, so right now, I think that is the work that she has to do. Um, so, so if she's, you know, if she's if she's on the lake, she just whatever she is doing, as long as the driver shows up and does their part, <clears throat> because in, in today's in today's top fuel, you have to. That's the only way you're going to survive. So, to win more races. She's going to have to get better. She's been better before. Um, you know, if you look at the first round, you qualified number one. You've earned a duck, and that was a duck. I don't know what happened to to, uh, to Wurzel, but that might be one of the worst red lights I've ever seen. I tell you, he can compete with McIntyre in that first round. Yeah, those two, guys were, think, those two guys were, think, man, they were way early. Yeah. I, it just, you know, hey, I, I got to talk about the show. The show, I, you know, it was it was a network show. 
it's a big opportunity for these these drivers. I don't know if that's what they're thinking about, but we did see um, we, we did see a comedy of errors between Wurzel. We saw that, that late reaction time for Mercier. It's great to see him get out of the first round. A red light from Wilkerson, McIntyre, and of course Alexis. You know, hers was close, but I know she's experimenting. She's trying things. Another another driver with a good car, but. Just to go back to Leah, this is the best car that she's had, and she's been in some good ones, but I'll say this is the most consistent car that she has been in, and now the pressure shifts over to the driver. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you're competing with Justin Ashley. I'm going to say that Justin Ashley and Austin Proc and Steve Torrance and, you know, and Brittany, if Brittany can get the car or rather the consistency back, I think she's going to be in the mix. So like Pro Stock, I think the face of Top Fuel – has changed where you cannot just be good. You're going to have to you're going to have to rise above to win. And you know, kind of transition to the other end of the spectrum. You know, we talk about Chad Green and Funny Car or this Mister Consistency, the six semifinals, Kevin. And then we have kind of the anti Chad Green and Top Fuel, which is Clay Milliken, um, because yeah. the only race they have they have gotten out of the first round in is Chicago, the race they won. And so, to me, it's like it's it's crazy to see a car that is obviously capable of winning, but it, it just whether it's tire smoke or somebody being totally Herculean next to him in the first round, it is just it's a tough thing to watch. It's got to be a tough thing to be in the seat. Yeah, it is. I mean, all, all or nothing. Um, you know, th- thankfully they have the one weekend where it was all, or, or this season would be, uh, you know, a, a bit of a disaster for them, but. Uh, you know, again, uh, like you pointed out, some of those losses are just, uh, honestly, you can chalk them up to bad luck. Yeah. Being in the wrong lane at the wrong, wrong time, that sort of thing. That that car is certainly better than the four-round wins that it has. And, again, that is another team that historically has run pretty well in Denver. Um, so I think if they're looking for another get-well weekend, uh, th- th- this could certainly be it. And... Honestly, you know, we've seen them go 360s, so when you get to places like Sonoma and Seattle where you can throw the power at it, uh, they, I don't see them being at a disadvantage. Um, and also to look at the bigger picture uh, with what Tony was just saying, don't you think we have finally reached the point after a long time where it, you know, the, the knock-on drag racing to a lot of people that don't know it has been these cars are easy to drive. Yeah, It's not, well, well now... You really need to be a talented driver to have any sort of sustained success, uh, especially in top fuel because there's so many good cars. You know, and, and I mean, good driver from the standpoint of, yes, you know, keeping it in the groove. But, uh, you know, if you can't consistently be 50 or better on the tree, you've got a problem now. Um, so I, I think that that's the beauty of it. And, and hopefully going forward, uh, as the sport continues to grow, hopefully we add more teams there's a premium on hired drivers that can get the job done Yes, more so than maybe someone who can just bring a check and, and fill a seat. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Tony, Clay's, you know, you can't really take anything away from Clay. The guy's averaging a 65 light. He's there. I mean, he was in Ashley, against Ashley in the first round in Norwalk. He was 44. But to me, it's it's the qualifying positions. And, and if you look at their season, they qualify fifth in Gainesville. Then it goes 15th, 10th, 11th, 9th, 11th, 9th, 11th, 10th. And, and history has shown history has shown you can't live like that. You just can't. This is where I disagree with Kevin, just a little bit. I, I don't agree with the bad luck, the wrong place at the wrong time. Of course, most of the tires a lot. 
got to figure out how to race the car. If I'm a team owner, if I'm a team owner, I'm going to look at that crew chief. Now, I thought they turned the corner. They did turn the corner. Yeah. But then they took another turn back to smoking the tires. So here we are approaching the halfway point, and, you know, it's got to get better. Okay? A, a tuner has to learn how to race a car. Tire smoke doesn't do it. And I see that car brake traction a lot. you got to wonder what they're doing, what they're thinking, and how they're setting that car up, and all of the above. Yeah, I mean, it really is. When you look at the the four cars that are in this this group that they don't want to be in, which is Coletta, Langdon, Schumacher, and Milliken, that's 9, 10, 11, 12. The one thing you really can't get away from is where they all end up qualifying the majority of the time. You know, Doug's averaging about a seven spot. Langdon's averaging about an eight spot. And you look at Schumacher averaging 10th. And Clay Milliken's averaging about a 10th spot. And, you know, Kevin, the big problem here becomes when we talk about these fields as tightly grouped as they are, yeah, it may only be a couple of hundredths, but as we can see from these four cars, that couple of hundredths is is very difficult to try to make up on somebody in first round. Yeah, yeah, again, the statistics will tell you everything you need to know. Qualifying in the top five is generally a key to having a long day on Sunday. Um, You know, being ninth, 10th, 11th is tough because you're not going to have lane chokes first round. And even if you survive, n- now you've drawn one of the top three qualifiers. Yeah. So you've just made the road much, much tougher for yourself. Um, and yeah, that, that I think is, is a, a, a bit of what, you know, has affected Clay's season. And, and yeah, I mean, to Tony's point, that car has certainly smoked the tires much more than the class average. Um, you know, but again, a lot of times with the qualifying thing, you might be the first car out. You know, uh, that's another advantage to qualifying where you get to pick your pair. You maybe get a better read on track conditions. Uh, it's all those little things I think add up. No, they absolutely do. And you know, Tony, one final question for you on top fuel. I'm going to throw four names at you. I want to know which one qualifies the best and which one goes the furthest on Sunday, even if it's only one round. Here come the four names: Greg Carrillo, Rob Passy, Terry Totten, Buddy Hull. Who's qualifying the best out of those four, and who's moving ahead? Greg Carrillo. Greg Carrillo, not just because we're going to be going to his pit and getting Mexican food. <laughs> well, but we saw, you know, Greg Carrillo reminds it reminds me of a, uh, you know, kind of the approach that a Tony Dizzo uh, and the yeah. McIntyre take. You know, it's, it's quality over quantity, and he will only do one or two races a year, but those are good races. He saves his parts, he conserves, he can only do so much without – you know, the kind of funding that you really need. But when he shows up, he has a good car, and he's brought in the right people, and we we saw the success that he's had, and it wasn't an accident. It was actually uh, somewhat impressive to see that car go down the racetrack under power. Uh, so he didn't completely rely on luck. So, um, you know, I think it's all it's great that, you know, the Rock Passies, some of the other teams show up at such a challenging race. But um, Greg Carrillo just, he seems like, seems like he's got a setup on that car, and I'm pretty sure that's what he's going to go to. And, you know, the name of the game is just if you can get the car, especially on the first qualifying session when it's going to be hot, if you can get the car to 700 feet under power, you're probably going to have a good weekend. All right, Kevin, same question. Out of those four names, who's moving ahead? Because and the only thing I'll preface it by saying is all four of these names to me, if, you gave, if I gave them to you two, three seasons ago, Versus what I think of all four of them now, I think it's a different game, especially for a guy like Passy, who we've seen make big strides in the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and, and you know, as, as much as I'd like to 
to, to level Tony and say, I don't agree with you. I don't, I, I, it, it's, it's hard not to because when you look at the operation that Greg Carrillo has, it's very professional. I mean, it th- th- that is, it, it's hard to even call them a part-time team because literally they're, what, two, th- maybe three races a year? Yeah. Um, yeah. But they always run Denver and they always run well at Denver. Um, and, and I assume Aaron Brooks still has some sort of a hand in tuning there. Um, which, you know, has, has been, I think, a key to their success in the past. Um, yeah, that, that, that is, you know, maybe not quite Tony Zizzo level right. um, part-time, but, but certainly a car that you wouldn't take lightly. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, there's all kinds of stuff to talk about this weekend. I think it's uh, it's going to be obviously bittersweet, right? This is not a track that we, we want to stop going to, but obviously, as, uh, as I said in the monologue of the show, the way that the housing's come up on the place and they were kind of running out of options and and the family made the decision they felt was best which you have to respect it's their place they can do what they want with it they are talking about uh, seeking a new location and my understanding is they have found at least one county that is uh, friendly to the idea at this point so we'll see how that progresses but tony before we totally uh, close this thing out give me one good denver memory from your from your bank of racing war stories well, I do recall a couple of wins uh, against Bazemore, against Caps. Uh, you know, winning, winning. It, it just always makes the, the, the good memories for any track, especially when you see it go away. Houston was another one. Uh, that was the first race that I think two brothers. Uh, when I raced Cruz in the final, I was driving for Force. He was driving for Joe Gibbs. Uh, but you know, and I've, I've told you this story before, but it's just touching. You know, we also went through Columbine. Yeah. And a couple of the, you know, the Colorado tragedies. So those are the things that stick out. And I think in one of those finals, it was maybe against Bazemore. I, I never met any of the Columbine survivors, those students. Um, but when I was getting in the car for the final round, I would always put my helmet on in the tow vehicle. And I just wanted to walk to the car. And there was a kid on crutches that was in the way because that tunnel is very narrow. And... And I knew it was him as soon as I, because I just, I would always look down. I wouldn't really look ahead. I just wanted to stay focused. And I gave him a hug. And I always thought that that was, uh, that was one of the students that was a guest there that they were putting close to the starting line when we'd race. And to me, that's just my favorite memory. The win was good. But to me, just to have those students there at that race, it was several months later. You know, that's one of the things that's always going to stand out um, at that racetrack. And I'm sure it will this, this coming weekend. Well, fellas, as always, thanks for the insight and the conversation. I'm actually, uh, you know, really excited for this weekend for for all the right reasons and maybe some of the more bittersweet ones. But uh, as always, Kevin, thank you. Glad to hear that the pyrotechnics display did not end in your house on fire or any of your fingers missing. (laughs) Well, good. And, Tony, I'll be catching up with you this weekend. I'm sure you and I will be at uh, El Tapatio at some point. You know, if you're if you're coming to Denver and you want some good Mexican food and you're in the Lakewood area, I think Tony will vouch for this place. El Tapatio is the spot. Breakfast and dinner. Kevin, good to have you back. Todd Benny did a great job, but uh, I'm pretty sure you're going you're gonna, to uh, even the score with me here on the next one. Done deal. I think, as you, listen, as, and I say this with respect, but as the old saying goes, there's no replacement for displacement, right? thanks guys see ya and we are back here at the nhra insider to close the show out a couple of final thoughts here as we come into the nhra mile high nationals final running at bandamere speedway coming 
in this 2023 season. If you don't have tickets yet, I don't even know if you can get them anymore. Uh, they were super close to sold out, I think, earlier this week. But make sure you go to anytrade.com if you do want to come out, and I do encourage you to try. Uh, it'll be a historic moment at Bandemir Speedway, a track that's been open since 1958, opened as the vision of a man in John Bandemir Sr. to create a place for local hot rodders to go race. Bandemir Sr. was in the speed parts business, was one of the first guys in the country that sold supercharger kits for cars and the kids would buy them up hop up their stuff and he needed to create a place for them to go safely use that equipment and so he did and what it turned into was a legacy racetrack that was revitalized in the late 80s a massive a renovation project that was done when the highway came in next to the track and not only did the highway bring incredible amounts of fans and people and um and drag racing to morrison colorado it also brought prime real estate prices and ultimately that highway brought a lot of people out to that part of the world that thought i would love to live here and now a lot of them are so that's the deal the nhra dodge power brokers mile high nationals coming this weekend stop one of three in the nhra western swing get your tickets to seattle the flavor pack northwest nationals will be coming the week following and of course we then go to sonoma california for the denso sonoma nationals at sonoma raceway can't beat any of these three races three of the most iconic on the tour and we are going to be celebrating like crazy in Bandamere this year. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks again to Kevin McKenna and to Tony Pedregon for joining me today on this episode of The Insider. We'll see you this weekend at Bandamere Speedway. And who knows, maybe in a couple of races coming up, we're going to be having live versions of the NHRA Insider right from the racetrack. We'll keep you posted on that and a whole lot more. Tune in to watch us on FS1 on Friday and Saturday, and then tune in to your local Fox affiliate on Sunday to watch us at the Mile High Nationals. As always, I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for watching, thanks for listening, and thanks for being a fan of the NHRA.